0: Let's pray. Lord, by the power of your Holy Spirit, we ask that as your scriptures are read and proclaimed this day, that our hearts, our minds, and our very lives may be transformed by your Holy Word. Thank you for your gift of scripture, we pray. Amen. If you remember, during this holy season of Lent, we have been looking at the final 24 hours of Jesus' life. Last week, we left off with Jesus being arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane. And if you remember, the the Garden of Gethsemane was, was located on the Mount of Olives, just outside of the city walls of Jerusalem. Jesus was there with his disciples, praying after their final meal together. And Jesus knew that that he would soon be betrayed by one of his friends. He he knew that soon his disciples would desert and deny him. And Jesus knew that the next day he would be crucified for the sins of the world. And it was during this time of pain and, and disappointment that Jesus wanted to spend a little time alone with his heavenly father. It was in the middle of the night, maybe 1, 2 o'clock in the morning. And the quiet of the, the night was broken by the sound of a mob coming toward Jesus. This group was made up of those sent by the religious authorities to arrest Jesus. See, by arresting Jesus at night, the authorities hoped to avoid a Potential riot or, or any sort of violence that might arise among the followers of Jesus. Jesus knew that his arrest was coming. He you know, even knew that his friend Judas would be the one to betray him. But have you ever thought about what Jesus must have felt when he saw Judas coming toward him? One who had been with him through the the many miles of of ministry. One who had seen the miracles, who had heard the preaching, who had, had witnessed things that no one else had ever seen. Here was Judas, the one who was the treasurer of the group. And he was coming towards Jesus Followed by a mob of of angry people. I think we all know what it's like to be betrayed by somebody we trust. Somebody we love. Someone who's a part of our life. So I think we can understand some of the disappointment and hurt that Jesus must have felt. English poet William Blake once wrote, It is easier to forgive an enemy than to forgive a friend. That's yeah, so true, isn't it? Yet as Judas approached Jesus, To give him the kiss that would seal his fate, Jesus looked at his friend not with contempt, not with hatred, not with scorn. But with love and compassion and most importantly with forgiveness. Jesus' compassion and forgiveness extended beyond Judas though one of the temple guards that had been sent to arrest him. In the Gospel of John, we are given this guy's name, Malchus. And apparently, as Jesus was being arrested, Simon Peter, who is one of my favorite characters in all the Bible, but he can be a little bit, um, let's say, spontaneous. Spontaneous. And in one of his spontaneous moments, he pulled out his sword and he swung it at those grabbing for Jesus. And Malkius had his ear cut off. And Jesus had the compassion and the love to heal Malkius' ear and to tell Peter and the other disciples to put their swords away. And as followers of his This is not how we settle problems with violence and hatred. Think about this for a second. The last recorded miracle of Jesus was him healing one of those sent to take him to his death. When I think about this scene of Jesus healing Malchus, I'm reminded of that great Charles Wesley hymn, Depth of Mercy, which goes, There for me the Savior stands, shows his wounds and spreads his hands. God is love. I know, I feel. Jesus weeps and loves me still. After Jesus was arrested, He was taken to the home of the chief priest, Caiaphas. Now, Caiaphas had a relatively long term as chief priest. And and this means that he got along well with the Romans. Because if you remember, the Romans were in charge of Israel at this time. And so in order to be the chief priest, you had to have the Romans. Well, the Romans had to okay you. It also didn't hurt that Caiaphas was married to the daughter of the former high priest, a guy by the name of Ananias, because even during the time of Jesus, marrying into the right family and knowing people that are connected, uh, you know, helped. I'm just so glad that it isn't that way in our country, right? <laughs> yeah. Caiaphas had become quite a wealthy man. Quite a powerful man. And it was the fear of him losing his earthly wealth and power that led to what was about to happen to Jesus. See, as Jesus was being led to Caiaphas' house near the temple, some of the most powerful and well-respected men in Jerusalem had already gathered there. They were known as the Sanhedrin. They were a, a council comprised of 71 elders. And they were considered to be the wisest and most pious men in Israel. The Sanhedrin oversaw the religious affairs of the Jewish people. And they ran both the temple in Jerusalem and the religious courts. Because yes, at the time, you could be arrested, put in jail, and even executed for a religious crime. Think about that for a second. Somebody forgets to put a little something in the offering plate and next thing you know, you wind up in jail. Now that right there is a stewardship campaign. (laughs) (coughs) I'm just saying. So that night as the Sanhedrin gathered in the chief priest home. (coughs) There was a lot of tension. Now remember, this is something totally unique, because the Sanhedrin usually met during the day in the temple. (coughs) Here they are meeting at night in the house of Caiaphas during a major religious holiday. It would have been like uh, 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 a having a big meeting during Christmas. It just didn't happen. But for whatever reason, Caiaphas thought it was important enough to deal with this Jesus problem that the Sanhedrin needed to get together during the Passover. Jesus was brought by the temple guards to Caiaphas' house. And when they got there, Uh, Jesus would have been placed in a holding cell. Now, when we think of holding cells and jail cells today, we think of, you know, the jail cells go down here to the Groveport Police. I assume they have a jail cell. I don't know. I've never been there. Uh, But but I assume they do. Uh, Yeah, yeah, I know. Good to know, right? Um, But that isn't the way it works. Um, because the, the way the Romans did it and, and, and uh, the Jews and, 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 and a lot of other people during the time, uh, e- even up through the medieval period, is a holding cell was a pit in the ground. And on that slide there, that, that top is a, uh, uh, a picture of one of these holding cells that has been found in uh, uh, what is considered to be the remains of Caiaphas' house. And what they would do is they would tie a rope around you and lower you down into that pit. And you would stand down in there. Uh, It usually wouldn't be big enough for you to sit down. You could maybe lean against a wall. And it was dark. And that's where you stayed while uh, whatever group was determining your fate determined your fate. And so that is where Jesus more than likely uh, was as he was listening to the Sanhedrin debate his faith. Now, if you wanted to see that cell, you can today at what is known as the Church of Saint Peter in uh, Gallicantu. Uh, Gallicantu is Latin for rooster, because that is also the same spot that we believe that Peter denied Jesus three times. Right. So, uh, uh, Peter. Followed Jesus to uh, Caiaphas' house, if you remember what the Bible tells us, uh, along with some of the other disciples. They, they followed uh, the guards and Jesus, and Peter uh, walked into the courtyard and was hanging out there with the servants of Caiaphas, trying to listen to what was going on inside with the Sanhedrin. And as Jesus had told him, we talked about this last week, that uh, before the rooster crowed in the morning, uh, he was going to have denied Jesus three times. Peter says, no way. Well, guess what happened standing in that courtyard? He denied Jesus three times. Unfortunately, that wasn't the worst thing to happen to Jesus that night. See, Caiaphas and the other members of the Sanhedrin had a problem. While the Romans ran the political affairs of Israel, the Sanhedrin was tasked with maintaining the religious and the the, the cultural life of Israel. And above all else, the Romans wanted one thing from the Sanhedrin— They had one job, one job really only, and that was this. They needed to keep the peace. Romans didn't really care so much how they did it, but they needed to keep the peace, especially during these religious festivals like Passover. Because Passover was a time in which the Jewish people were known to start to riot against their occupying Roman oppressors why well what's passover about passover is a celebration of god saving the jewish people from oppression in egypt and setting them free well if you're the romans that is not what you want people that you are have just conquered to celebrate right and it it gave people ideas and so the Sanhedrin knew this, and what they wanted, above all else, was for Jesus to just go away, because they were afraid that the followers of Jesus would uh, get, get a little too excited, and next thing you know, they've got a riot, and the next thing you know is the Romans are upset, and all of these guys in power could find themselves replaced by somebody who could get the job done for the Romans. So the Sanhedrin went out and found some witnesses to give false testimony about Jesus. The Bible tells us that their stories didn't even match each other, but it didn't matter because the verdict was already decided. Caiaphas had Jesus hauled up out of his cell. And he looked at Jesus and he said, Have you no answers for all the accusations they bring against you? Jesus remained silent. They said, you're trying to foment a revolt. Is that true? Jesus didn't say anything. I think right here Mark is wanting us to recall this passage from Isaiah, Isaiah 53.7. It says, he was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth he was led like a lamb to the slaughter and as a sheep before the shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. Caiaphas had had enough, and he finally asked Jesus, Are you the Messiah, the son of the blessed God? And Jesus finally responded in a clear declaration of who he is. He answered, I am. And then he finished with, and you will see the Son of Man seated at the right side of the Almighty and coming with the clouds from heaven. Well, this answer apparently just about set Caiaphas right over the edge. As well as others on the Sanhedrin. And see, it wasn't so much that Jesus claimed to be the Messiah. After all, he wasn't the first and he wouldn't be the last to claim to be the Messiah. Truth be known, he probably wasn't even the first person that year to claim to be the Messiah. What caused all the commotion was the statement, I am. See, we need to go back to the book of Exodus. And after the Israelites flee Egypt, Moses goes up on Mount Sinai and meets with God. And God says to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites I am has sent me to you. I am was the name of God. So what Jesus was saying to the Sanhedrin was, I'm God. Deal with it. This didn't go over well. Mark tells us that the high priest tore his robes and said, we don't need any more witnesses. You heard his blasphemy. What is your decision? And they all voted against him. They all said that he was guilty and should be put to death. The thing is, claiming to be God wasn't blasphemy. Blasphemy was saying something bad about God claiming to be the creator of the universe was just something mentally ill people tended to say. All right? It's not blasphemy. It's only blasphemy if somebody might believe it. Most people would have just laughed at Jesus for making such a statement. But Caiaphas and the other members of the Sanhedrin saw an opportunity to get rid of Jesus, and they took it. And then this group of men Who were considered to be the most pious, well educated, most religious men in all of Israel, they began to hit and spit on Jesus. They blindfolded him, they struck him with their fists, and they said, Hey, Jesus, who hit you? Prophesy. And the guards took turns hitting him and beating him. Who does that? What kind of religious people, even To somebody who had committed a crime hits people blindfolds and ties them up and then hits them and spits on them. So what's going on? Well, I think it can all be summed up with one word, and that is fear. Fear can cause us to do things that we would not ordinarily do. Fear can cause us to follow people that we would not ordinarily follow. Fear can cause us to believe things about others that we would not ordinarily believe. Fear is a powerful, powerful force. Now, fear, used correctly, is a great thing. It keeps us safe. But used incorrectly, it can cause us to act in ways contrary to our core beliefs. It can cause us to follow people we should not follow. It can cause us to do things that we will be sorry for in the future. So my friends, as we think of Jesus in front of the Sanhedrin, let us remember that the whole event was powered by fear. Fear fear of the Romans, fear of losing power, fear of of the unknown, fear of the future. Fear can be our greatest enemy. So let us remember that as we move forward. Because we are called not to be fearful people, but to be faithful people. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you for all that you do for us, and that includes taking away our fear. As we saw in the Sanhedrin, it was fear that led them to make decisions that many of them probably later regretted. Give us clarity to think through our decisions in the light of faith, not fear. Thank you for all that you do. Be with us now as we partake in this holy meal. Amen.